people say, you can't use the word emotion in a company. Like emotion, we don't talk about it. We don't allow it. But the fact is, the brain carries your emotions everywhere you go, for better or for worse. And it turns out the best leaders, the best teams, manage their emotions artfully. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jason Campbell, and I have a very special guest today for Superhumans at Work. I would say this is someone who saw a trend way ahead of its time, and it's really this understanding of emotional intelligence. We're talking about the de facto book that was put together back in 95, which has sold more than 5 million copies. Harvard Business Reviews usually puts this as one of the top books that people should always keep a hand on and an understanding of because emotional intelligence is one of the key key critical things that people need to work on way beyond IQ, which is what most people have been taught to learn. And it is with my big pleasure that I bring Daniel Goleman, the author of this book, and so many more literatures around leadership, emotional intelligence, and really understanding what does it take to run organizations successfully, lead teams, and really understand this aspect of ourselves, which is our emotions, and why it is so important to do so in the workplace. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's quite a pleasure. Happy to be here. Daniel, we were talking about this just before we started, the fact that you were so ahead of your time because today it seems like emotional intelligence is something that I've heard mentioned on blog posts, other podcasts, somebody quoting this left and right. Yet 95, this is 25 years ago where you wrote this book and it seems like you detected this trend ahead of everybody else and really started driving it within organizations. And I'd love to kick off with how did you start finding this aspect of emotional intelligence being a critical factor and developing it at that time? Well, when I wrote the book, Emotional Intelligence, although I'm a psychologist, I was working as a science journalist at the New York Times. And part of my job was to look at journals, technical journals, and think, what was new, interesting, exciting, and how can you translate it for the general public? And in 1990, I came across an article in a very obscure journal that's now no longer in existence, in fact which was called emotional intelligence. I thought, what a great term. So I used that term, which had been put forth by a guy named Peter Salovey, who was then a junior faculty at Yale, now the president of Yale. I think he has a lot of emotional intelligence myself. And I used that term for my book, which looked at the brain and emotional intelligence, as well as implications for business and for education. And part of my job was spotting trends. And there were starting to be just the beginnings of a few pilot programs in schools. Now, you know, more than a couple million kids are getting this kind of course. And there were some hints of it in the business place. But actually, in the workplace, no one was using the term. When I wrote the book, I thought, if I overhear two strangers using the word emotional intelligence and they know what it means, I'll have succeeded. In other words, I saw it as a meme that should spread. And little did I know how it would be used today. Everybody knows the term emotional intelligence. So it spread quite enormously. And for good reasons. And I'm so happy that it has because I think there was a lack of emotion in the workplace until people started to acknowledge that, hey, this could actually make us a little more productive. I'd love for you to comment on what trend have you seen since companies started embracing these ideas? 
Well, when I first started talking to companies, people said, you can't use the word emotion in a company. Like emotion, we don't talk about it. We don't allow it. But the fact is, the brain carries your emotions everywhere you go, for better or for worse. And it turns out the best leaders, the best teams manage their emotions artfully. And data has shown that over and over again. For example, a series of studies at the Yale School of Management, a leader of a team is in a rotten mood. People on the team catch the mood, performance goes down. The leader's in a great mood. I feel really energized, enthusiastic. People catch that mood, performance goes up. So emotions have always been at play when it comes to actual performance in the workplace. We just never thought about it. We didn't look at it. Now we're getting, I would say, more skillful at it. And so it seems like when you start adding these elements, okay, I need to monitor my mood because it directly relates to performance. There obviously needs to be a level of self-awareness, which I know is one of the big pillars when it comes to this emotional intelligence. Where do you draw the line? Like, is there sometimes that you can get paranoid just thinking about every emotion you have and realizing that, oh my God, I can't think about this or be any kind of sad because else I'll affect negativity. So I just always need to be enthusiastic. (laughs) You know, emotions change and they change all the time. And you don't have to track every single little change in emotion. It's the big ones, the big shifts, particularly the ones that are disruptive for what you're trying to do. Anger, that's very seductive emotion, but it's not helpful. Anxiety, you know, you can manage those emotions. So in my emotional intelligence model, as you pointed out, there are four domains. Self-awareness, which helps you with self-management. Then Empathy, noticing what's happening in the other person, and then skillful relationships. So it starts with self-awareness. And that means simply tuning into what you're feeling, knowing why you feel it, and how it's affecting your performance. And the first competence in self-management is emotional balance, getting it right. And that doesn't mean that some emotion is forbidden, that you can't have it. You're going to have it. But if it's not helpful, then you can manage it. And I think one of the key things that people need to understand when it comes to emotional intelligence is we're not talking about an intelligence that is static. There's actually a lot of room for people to improve on their emotional intelligence. And I'd love for you to talk more about that and what happens in organizations when people start growing in that competency. You know, you have to contrast emotional intelligence with IQ. IQ is pretty much set for life. It reflects the rate at which your particular brain, because of genetics, learns new information. And that's not going to change very much. Emotional intelligence is learned and learnable. You start learning it as a kid. And the good news is, as an adult, you can keep learning. You can keep improving, particularly if you have a systematic way of seeing where you want to improve. And in organizations, we've seen time and again, that for one thing, there's a ripple effect. People at the top tend to send their emotions downward for better or for worse, as I said. And if a leader can get a better grasp of his or her emotional intelligence and get better at it, then things get better in terms of concrete metrics for performance. And if I'm somebody that's in the bottom of the organization, am I like let off the hook about managing my emotions? Because I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm just a victim of my leader's emotions. (laughs) It's not like that. We all radiate emotions. No matter what you do, you connect with other people and your emotions affect the other person. Emotions are contagious, always. They're most contagious from the more powerful person to the less powerful person in a room, but they're contagious with your coworkers with your clients or customers. In other words, 
apart from what you're supposedly doing, the ostensible interaction, there's always an emotional transaction. And it can be one that's very helpful or it can be one that's awful. If you ask people, think of a boss that they've loved and what that boss was like, what made them someone you wanted to work for. And then think of a boss you hated, nobody wanted to work for. Just give me one word that describes them. Basically, the boss people loved is someone who's emotionally intelligent. And the boss people hated is someone who just doesn't have it. Mm. Although these leaders have a huge influence, there's still a responsibility we all have to take. And this is where I love in the model, we're going to talk more about how you get to understand others, but for understanding the self, I like this idea where you have this whole emotional self-control. And I feel like some people are saying, well, you know, this is the way I am. If I am feeling angry, I'm supposed to express it to everybody. How do you contrast this idea of being authentic versus having that emotional control? Or is it even something to discuss? I think authenticity has to do with your knowing what emotion you're feeling and why. I think the artful display of emotion is up to you and it's within your control. And it isn't always cool, helpful, or positive to express your anger. It may be better to channel your anger, to use the energy of the anger to focus and to do what you can to change the situation or else to manage your own internal reaction depending on who's the target of your anger. Usually, if it's your boss, I would say, don't express it skillfully. And what if you're having these ideas where you're having maybe negative self-talk or some ideas around your emotions against the self? Is this something that you should be nurturing as fuel to get you to be more productive, or should you be doing other things to kind of shift that mindset? You know, negative self-talk often takes the form of judgment of, you know, oh man, I'm no good at this. Basically making negative judgments about yourself. That's never very helpful. Here I have to recommend my wife's book, which is about these patterns, emotional alchemy. She looks at the kinds of self-talk that creates actually a real disadvantage for people and talks about how you can apply mindfulness, which is a way of looking at what's going on to help change those patterns. The book is Emotional Alchemy. We'll make sure to include a link in there. And I know that when we speak about mindfulness, this is a topic of one of your later books, which you're also predicting this trend around mindfulness, helping all the organizations grow and emotional intelligence kind of rides really closely with mindfulness. Is there a really distinct correlation between those two? I think that mindfulness is a great tool for self-awareness and self-awareness is the fundamental ability in emotional intelligence. If you're not self-aware, you can't manage your emotions that well. If you're tuned out of some range of your own emotion, you can't pick that up in other people. So it hampers your empathy too. So mindfulness helps self-awareness and self-awareness helps with everything else. And for those listening, I hope you've recognized that we're talking a lot about the self. And I know for someone who initially looked at something like emotional intelligence, I was thinking, wow, I'll be able to know everybody else, what they're feeling. I would say younger Jason might've been like, wow, now that I know I can play the game better, but you're making us take a step back and really work on the self. And that's really a foundation about not only just being aware, but managing, adapting, looking at everything that's happening within the self before you even look at the other people. And how much do you need to continue on that journey of the self before you start understanding emotionally what's going on around you? I think they all go on simultaneously, Jason. I think it's that self-awareness is fundamental, but you also have to continually empathize 
tune in to other people. Where are they at? So you can have effective communication. So you can have an effective relationship, no matter what the specifics of your working relationship may be. If you're tuned out of the other person, it's not going to feel right. It's going to be off. And so as organizations have shifted, we're starting to see that understanding emotions and really applying them is helping a lot of organizations. But yet there still is this whole idea that work and life should be completely separate. How much do you supposed to add what your personal life happenings are that might be shifting your emotions should be brought in the workplace? And is it considered good or bad? Remember, I said that one of the keystones of self-awareness is knowing what you're feeling and why. And it may be because of that terrible argument you had with your spouse or your partner before you came to work. You don't need to talk about it, but you need to understand its impact. And so when you understand its impact, would you be actively communicating with your colleagues that, hey, I've been having things in my personal life happening without going into too many details? What would be a specific way of applying that? I think it depends on your relationship with your colleagues. If it's a self-disclosing relationship, that's perfectly fine. If it's not, then it would be a little weird, I think. I think the more important thing is for you to understand why you're feeling that way and what to do about it. And maybe when you go home, you're going to have a certain conversation with that person. I love it. And so that brings us right into a portion where I'd love to talk more about what are the specific tools that we can apply in the workplace to just get ourselves to have a bump of you know, higher emotional intelligence in the sense that we have a bit more control, we communicate, have more empathy. Are there prescriptive skills or techniques we should be using in the workplace that allows us to just be better at this skill of understanding emotions? Well, you know, in my emotional intelligence model, I talk about a dozen different specific competencies, each of which helps us in a different way in the workplace. So for example, in self-management, one thing is emotional balance. I mentioned that earlier, which means that you can manage your disturbing emotions so they don't get in your way. It's like, take focus. Your ability to focus on your work. The most powerful distraction is emotional distraction. So that thing that happened to me this morning that I keep thinking about is getting in the way of my paying attention and staying with this big project I have to do at work. So can you manage that? Another one is, can you marshal positive emotions? Can you stay positive, have this uh, growth mindset, sometimes it's called now, about yourself and about your ability to do better or to keep improving? Can you keep your eye on the goal, maybe a distant goal? but realize that everything you're doing is toward that goal and keep going despite obstacles and setbacks. These are all ways to manage yourself. And then there's tuning into the other person, empathizing, or tuning into your whole organization, knowing how decisions are made. That's another level, kind of a systems level of empathy. And then putting that all together in your relationships. Can you influence people? Now, this is very important. Somebody at Google reached out to me, for example, to say, you know, we have some brilliant engineers, but they can't get people to pay attention to their ideas. They don't have that influence ability. They don't know how to put things. They don't know who to talk to even. This is all part of that. So knowing who to talk to to get a decision made that you want to see, and it may not be the person who makes the decision. It may be a person who influences the person who makes the decision. So each of these has its own particular moves or chops, if you will. Another is teamwork. You know, so many people are working on teams. Turns out that the best performing teams have a kind of group emotional intelligence where 
They're very open with each other about their strengths and their limits. They know who to put in charge of something and who to not let do that job. They know what other teams in the organization or in the organization they're interfacing with could use and how they can help them because that creates goodwill between teams. You can rely on that for getting resources that you need later as a team. So in other words, there are many, many specific ways to apply emotional intelligence. Because it goes really beyond the self here, which we've covered. And, you know, having that self-awareness and that self-management, you've kind of isolated and had an understanding of the self. But it sounds like once you start applying this and you raise up the ladder of emotional intelligence, you have, as you say, one of the pillars, the social awareness. You understand the ecosystem that's happening when a bunch of humans are together trying to get a job done. (laughs) And so when you have that awareness and now you start understanding like, hey, here's how people are, here's how people operate, here's how I can communicate better. You're really just kind of lubricating the way that everything's happening. So there's less resistance and ideas flow better. The impact goes up. And I almost feel challenged. Maybe it's because I'm very much within Mind Valley. We're quite modern and young as an organization. And this seems like we can see it. We can see the benefits. And I'd be curious to know, are you still seeing a lot of resistance from companies to apply these kinds of concepts? And if so, what should an employee within an organization like that do about it? Well, I'm seeing less and less and less resistance. One reason that I wrote a series of articles in the Harvard Business Review is that they have impact on leaders. And so one thing you can do is give someone who doesn't get it one of my articles. There's a book available from Keystep Media. You can do a link to this, which is called What Makes a Leader has all of my Harvard Business Review articles. If you buy them off the shelf, that's pretty expensive per... Here we have a package, but it's something you could use as an influence tool for people who are still resistant. The other thing, I like to cite neuroscience and hard science in findings promoting emotional intelligence because many skeptics are you know, logical high IQ types who don't feel that there's a place for emotion. So I like to use hard data for soft skills. And I think this is one of the things about your book where it's so well thought out, it's so well packaged, it's so well researched that people can really see all the data that supports all the positive trends. And now we've seen the companies that have embraced the concepts are growing, they're doing well. And you speak a lot about the role that coaching and mentoring has for people when they grow their emotional intelligence. Could you speak a bit more about that on what can we do to help others around us grow this emotional intelligence as well? Well, in fact, I list coaching and mentoring as one of the tasks of a leader. Too many leaders don't get that. This is why there's a whole cadre now of coaches, external coaches, who will come into an organization. This is like a tutorial in emotional intelligence. You know, maybe in school you needed a tutorial in language or math. Now in the workplace, people are getting tutorials in how to manage themselves better, how to empathize, how to use their relationship skills. I started a coaching organization, Goldman EI, that specializes in the emotional intelligence domain. But what we do is a very precise kind of diagnostic of a person where people who work with them daily, who know them well, anonymously rate them so they can be very honest about what they're good at and what they're not so good at. And then we share that data with the person. Very powerful. Nowhere in life do you get this kind of data. But it shows you what your strengths are and how you're perceived and where you could 
benefit from working. And then the coach will work there and help you practice the skill set that will make you better and better. And my colleague, Richard Boyatzis, who's done this for years with his graduate students at Case Western, has tracked them down like seven years later. And he found whatever they improved at over six months in graduate school, they're still better at as seen by the people they work with today. So this is change that really lasts. Is there a trend that you've noticed in leaders, one aspect of emotional intelligence that you see leaders typically struggle with? And is there a thing that they could apply from our conversation here? I think that this coaching and mentoring ability, this task, this confidence, if you will, is one that's too often overlooked by a leader. And just think about, well, The people you work with and who work for you, what could you help them with? Perfect. Daniel, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing these ideas about emotional intelligence. For those of you listening, make sure to go to goldmanei.com to see the model broken down and get a lot more details on how you can develop yourself in the competence of emotional intelligence. We looked at the aspects that self-awareness is the foundation. You need to become self-aware of your emotion and really understand that there is an element of management that exists when it comes to your emotional intelligence your self-management. You are not a victim of your emotions. There's things that you can do to actually shift the way that you react to any emotion that comes. doesn't mean you have to be inauthentic. It simply means that you actually understand the influence your emotion has on your entire team, especially if you're in a leadership position. It can change the productivity, everything below. But again, do not feel like you're supposed to be a robot with no emotion. You are allowed to feel. Just be at the source of it. Why do you feel that way? And make sure you build that bond with the team knowing that sometimes you might show up that's not always positive and pretty, but you make them understand that, hey, things are happening. Maybe it's in the personal life. And depending on that work culture you have, there's a level of sharing that you would do and only you would know that level. And once you've worked on the self, understand emotional intelligence gives you that social awareness. You get to have empathy. You get to see what is the ecosystem that you're a part of and how to navigate its part. How do you actually inspire people better? How do you actually deal with conflict? How do you understand how to work with teams better? How do you push your ideas forward, understanding where everybody is emotionally? But again, you can't skip the self-work. It all starts there. And as a leader, make sure you embrace the competency when it comes to coaching and mentoring, because that is really how you help others raise their level of emotional intelligence, which has been showing indications that organizations that embrace this concept, nurture its growth, have more success, more functional teams. And if you are looking to dive deeper into this subject, go to goldmanei.com where you will find so many more resources. And again, we have seen this from 95 where the book was published, how organizations are now finally adapting these ideas of emotional intelligence and we can always do more. And if you've read anything from Daniel Goldman, you've also know that he's worked on ideas around primal leadership and now mindfulness, which might give you an indication of what the future trends are gonna be about. Daniel, thank you so much for being here and everybody tuning in. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.